Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs or you want more information about the type of training or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavilio. Welcome back to this episode of BFR Radio. Before I head into today's article review, a quick reminder that if you're looking for practical ideas on how to implement BFR into your own training, check out my Instagram, which is at Chris Gavilio, or my YouTube channel, which is Sports Rehab Oz. That's Sports Rehab AUS Oz for Australia. If you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you would have seen that I've been adding in 60-second snippets, which are short 60-second snippets of the previous podcast that I've done. I'd actually love to hear if you're enjoying these best bits of the podcast. It's always good to know that my work's being well-received. If you have any questions, please ask, and I'll get to them as soon as I can. With the recent podcast release, I was excited to increase the frequency to every fortnight. That, however, was short-lived, with a slightly longer release date with this episode today. However, just to give you a little bit of an update, things have been very busy at work with the athletes that I coach, which are preparing for the upcoming Tokyo Olympics. And in case you don't know which or what athletes I work with, I coach athletes in the sports of athletics, in particular the sprints and also javelin and decathlon with some really exciting athletes and also in the sport of beach volleyball. So keep your eye out for that and I'll keep you updated on how they go. I've also had a few other presentations for different organizations lately, which has also taken some time, and and that's been a priority to get that work out there. In particular, I've got an upcoming Basics of BFR presentation, which is about to be released on the Play Academy website. That's Play, spelled P-L-A-E. And they do great things with coach education, so make sure you search them up and see what they're up to. And it's also hoping that I'll be able to take my BFR instructors course online with this type of format as well, which is very exciting. For those people around Australia, I've actually done some four-hour workshops, which has really given the attendees everything they need to know about BFR so that they can take it to their clients or the athletes they coach. And with everything now moving online, the accessibility to everyone around the world, this course will be there for you. So Stay tuned for that and I'll let you know when that's going to be on the Play platform. The first episode in this mini-series of the upper body, we looked at the bench press and how different periodization models, in particular high-intensity, low-load BFR and also a combination of both, resulted in the outcome of the bench press. One of my concluding thoughts on this paper would be to look at the combinations of both low-load BFR leading into high-load non-BFR bench press. For me, it makes total sense, combining an elevation in anabolic hormones, activation of pathways associated with improvements in strength and muscle and hypertrophy, and improved localized muscle activation prior to doing your heavy sets with the cuffs off. To me, this sounds like perhaps the best warm-up that you could ever give someone trying to train no matter what exercise they do. On to today's episode, which is the second article review in the Upper Body series, And what wouldn't be an upper body BFR article review without looking at some bicep curls? On a more serious note, there's some really great uses for BFR aside from just a bicep curl. But this article again looks at the difference between high load, non-BFR and low load BFR periodization models. 
And why I keep talking about this is because I really think that understanding how the difference between a low load and a high load periodization model with or without BFR on certain exercises can result in similar outcomes, I think has really positive outcomes for you as a practitioner. Anyway, onto the article. It's called Practical Blood Flow Restriction Training Increases Muscle Hypertrophy During a Periodized Resistance Training Program. This is from the University of Tampa in the US, where the primary author is Ryan Lowry. So thank you very much for putting this article together here for us. This paper in particular is going to focus on practical BFR. When we think about low-intensity BFR training, where the purpose is to fully occlude venous but not arterial blood flow, typically you apply a wrapping device, which is normally a pneumatic restriction cuff proximal to the muscle being trained. Another possibility is to use a Katsu device. However, for some people, this may not be a practical approach due to cost and accessibility. Recently, because of its accessibility and relative cost effectiveness, practical blood flow restriction training has been a rising topic in our field of blood flow restriction. A very prolific author in the space of BFR, Jeremy Lenecki, was the first to propose passive BFR training to induce positive changes in skeletal muscle. Specifically, these researchers applied knee wraps proximally around the participants' thighs until they were snug, but the wraps did not cause pain on the participants. Recently, authors quantified the tightness of the wrap to only elicit venous occlusion while not fully occluding the artery. These findings show that passive BFR applied during leg press exercises in particular was able to induce greater increases in the proposed acute determinants of muscle hypertrophy than a control condition. Specifically relating to passive BFR and academic research, only one other study has used passive BFR in combination with a regular resistance training regime. Therefore, the purpose of the study was to investigate the effects of low-intensity passive BFR as a training regime on muscle hypertrophy as compared to a more traditional high-intensity training regime without BFR. In the study, 20 college-age male participants at an approximate age of around 23 years of age with a minimum of one year of resistance training experience was recruited for this study. Prior to testing, subjects 10RM was measured and this value was then converted to a 1RM for load prescription. Successful repetitions were defined as where the subject could successfully curl the bar and weight without any moving of the elbow and while maintaining a straight back throughout the lift. For the bicep curls in combination with the passive BFR, the subject's arms were wrapped at a perceived pressure of 6 to 7 out of 10 with knee wraps. For the non-passive BFR group, the subject's arms were wrapped at a perceived pressure of 0 out of 10 with knee wraps to control for any confounds. During the first week of passive BFR, subjects performed three sets of 30 repetitions with 30% of their calculated 1RM. To control for total volume, the non-passive BFR subjects performed three sets of curls at one half of the repetitions and two times the load of their passive BFR for each week. For example, if a passive BFR individual did 30 repetitions at 30% of their 1RM on their first set, the non-passive BFR performed 15 repetitions at 60% of their 1RM for their first set. Muscle thickness of each participant on their dominant arm was determined via ultrasound by measuring the total distance of the long and the short head of the biceps brachii, as well as the fascia between the two muscles located midway between the head of the humerus 
and lateral epicondyle. The muscle thickness was assessed at baseline and after four weeks and eight. And with respect to the study protocol, it was a randomized crossover protocol which consisted of individuals either restricting blood flow to the biceps brachii during the first four weeks or the second four weeks of an eight-week resistance training program. That training regime consisted of training the biceps twice per week on Mondays and Fridays. And it was actually part of a complete upper and lower body session. If you read the paper, Monday is hypertrophy day where they do leg press, leg extension curls, lots of back work, pull-ups, bent over row, shoulder press, bench press. It's quite an extensive program. And on Fridays, their strength day, where they're doing five exercises, including the BFR bicep curls, leg press, bench press, leg extension, and a close grip bench press. Just quickly summarizing before we move on to the results, this was a randomized crossover protocol, which went for eight weeks. During the first four weeks, they would do either the passive BFR or the non-BFR training protocol, and they'd swap that over. And then they would be getting their measurements at 0, 4, and 8. In accordance to the different protocols, the BFR performed three sets of 30 repetitions with 30% of their calculated 1RM, and the non-BFR subjects performed three sets of curls at one half of the repetitions and two times the load of their BFR weeks for each week. And essentially what they're looking for, did their biceps get any bigger? Whether you do low load BFR training with high repetitions or whether you do high load bicep curls with lower repetitions and no BFR. If we look at the results, firstly, there were no differences between the groups at baseline. If we now look at the two different training groups and the way they were structured, the first group would be over the eight weeks where the first four weeks would be BFR and the second four weeks, that's weeks five, six, seven, and eight, would be the high-intensity bicep curls, whereas the second group would have performed their high-intensity bicep curls in the first four weeks, and then in that second four-week block, they would have performed BFR low-load training. In both these groups, muscle thickness increased significantly from baseline to week four, and that was 6.9% if you did BFR first, versus 8.6% if you did high intensity first. And then when we look at the second period, the high intensity work improved 4.1% and the BFR group improved 4%. Overall, a really simple study with really simple findings. But I think as the primary findings say, that this research indicated that low intensity passive BFR resulted in similar hypertrophy gains as high intensity training regardless of which was performed first. In the discussion, the authors discuss a couple of different mechanisms as to the reasons why potentially they saw these results. And the first one is cell swelling, one of the major mechanisms behind the success of BFR training. And this shifts protein balance towards anabolism and thus induces hypertrophy. In other studies, authors have postulated that low-intensity BFR results in increased water content of the muscle cells, which induces a cascade of anabolic intracellular signaling to occur. This is supported from other studies, which observe greater increases in muscle size measured by circumference with low-intensity BFR compared with low-intensity resistance exercise without BFR. Therefore, the authors suggest that this acute swelling might mechanistically explain part of the increase in muscle protein synthesis observed following low-intensity BFR training. Furthermore, the data in the study demonstrates that low-intensity passive BFR results in similar hypertrophy gains as a volume-matched high-intensity exercise bout. 
In addition, the results of this study suggest that regardless of the order, low-intensity passive BFR can be utilized in combination with high-intensity resistance exercise in a linear, periodized fashion. One of the limitations that was mentioned in the study is that they did not assess a one-rep maximum strength for the bicep curl prior to the beginning of the study. And actually, thinking about this, they did measure a 10RM max, and it would have been pretty simple just to measure a 10RM max at the end of the study or midway, irrespective of whether we're talking about a 1RM, 5RM, or a 10RM. So that was a really good point there, something really simple that could have value added to this study here. These results suggest that low-intensity passive BFR can increase muscle hypertrophy to the same degree as that of high-intensity training. Therefore, athletes and strength practitioners can use low-intensity passive BFR in combination with their training programs to elicit muscle hypertrophy without the muscle damage occurred by lifting heavier weights. And I think the wonderful thing here is, is they're actually showing something that is a lot more cheap and affordable for everyone out there, can be just as effective as a system that is a little bit more expensive. Now, I've actually had a few people contact me over the time about my thoughts of practical BFR versus systems, even like my own, which is actually not on the expensive side, but for some people who are working with large teams, may just not have any funds at all to be able to get into BFR. But in my line of work, I like to have a high level of structured processes around how I implement BFR with the athletes and the clients that I work with. In particular, there's a lot of athletes in professional sports or athletes that are going to the Olympics. So I want to know that my processes are ethical, are safe, and are proven. So I'll tend to always lean to something where I can calculate a percentage of arterial occlusion that they'll be training at, and that if I need to have a discussion with any medical staff, that I can then produce this documentation to them. Because I know that if something may go wrong, that, and I like I hope nothing does go wrong, but I'm always thinking that I need to be able to cover my processes and to ensure that everyone's feeling very confident with what they're doing. And I feel for me that this is one major cross-check that I want to ensure that I'm giving to the athletes and clients that I'm working with. But that's just me. And there's some people out there that are happy to do the practical BFR. And there's a lot of literature out there that have had really good results. So I'm not knocking practical BFR, but for me, I'll always tend to go with something that I can calculate and measure the pressure that the athletes and the clients are going to use. Just swinging quickly back to the actual essence of the program, my two cents worth and more from a personal experience is that if you're lifting high loads, you'd normally do the bicep curls at the end of the session. And if you're lifting high loads in your main lifts, whether it's bench press, chin-ups or legs, by this stage of the session when you're up to your bicep curls, I'm actually pretty keen to finish and head home. So the advantage of using the low load BFR is that you can get into it a lot easier, less warm up sets, and consequently there's no need to worry about loading the bar up with these higher loads. And also the shorter rest periods, which overall means that you can be done in less time with less load and the same outcome. And therefore I'd lean towards using a low load BFR protocol. And I definitely know that a lot of athletes that I work with, is I know that they enjoy well, maybe not enjoy, 
that are associated hurt with the BFR. But they know that they can do two sets and be done really quickly as opposed to doing a couple of warm-up sets and doing a more traditional high load, low repetition, three set type periodization. Once again, a really simple article, but I think it's quite nice to show that something as simple as this can be quite effective. And the next article review will move away from the muscular benefits and we'll look at how BFR can be used to improve recovery of hand fractions. And I have spoken about the role that BFR plays in improved bone reformation which I think is a fascinating concept with respect to how we're training our clients or our athletes who may have fractures. If you want any more information about BFR or you want to order a set of your own BFR cuffs, please head to my website, which is sportsrehab.com.au. And if you want to contact me, you can do so via the contact us or the contact me on my website, or just DM me through my socials on Instagram or Twitter, which is at Chris Cavillio. Finally, if you enjoy the podcast, please give it a rating on iTunes and also share it with someone who may benefit from this information. Thanks for listening. See you in the next episode and remember to keep the pump.